Amen. Um, that's one of my favorite songs. Uh, I absolutely love it. Hey, Brenda, I'm so glad you're here. We love you. We've been praying for you. Beautiful smile. Can I ask you a question this morning? And you look in your heart and answer it. Can we do that? Here's the question. What do you love? Take it seriously for a moment. Look in your soul. What do you love? Not just love, in fact. What do you adore? In fact, if we were to close our eyes right now in this moment, and we were just to begin to search our souls and our hearts, we would ask the question, what are the things I love? Who are the people I love? What are the hobbies I love? What, what do I love? Or let me ask it this way. What do you value most in your life? What do you give the most worth in your life? You see, what we value the most and what we worship, or what we, what we give the most worth to, that's what we worship. In fact, the very word worship came from an old English word, worth-ship. That's where it came from, worth-ship. Whatever we give the most worth to, that's the thing we worship. That's the thing we worship. In fact, listen, every one of us is created to worship. Did you know that? We are all created to worship God. Everyone. <laughs> In fact, if you were to go into some remote jungle in South America or New Guinea or somewhere in the outback of Australia and you found a tribe who'd never seen another tribe, they'd never seen another man like them, you could go in and watch what they do and I promise you, you would see them in some form or another worship. Erwin McManus is one of my favorite writers and pastors. He says, every person was created to believe, belong, and become. Every one of us. And so in every society, we, we see that. Everybody worships something. We're created to worship. Uh, Isaiah 43, Ephesians 2, Colossians 1, Revelation 4, they all speak to the fact that we're created to worship God. The problem is we don't all worship God. We're created to worship God. So our lives are ready for the worship of God. Our souls are ready for the worship of God. And trust me, your families and your work and everything that surrounds you is ready for your worship of God. But instead, we choose to worship something else sometimes, don't we? And we try to put in the place of God other things. It could be our husbands, our wives, our children, money, our jobs, our hobbies, even ourselves. I know people who, they don't trust the word of God. They don't trust God. They trust their own opinion. They trust what they want to believe. They trust themselves, and therefore they worship themselves and their own opinion and what they want. Everyone was created to worship God. But if we don't worship, listen, this is very important. If we don't worship the one true God, what it is that we worship will destroy our lives. Did you know that? Whatever it is that we worship that is not God will end up destroying our lives because we're created to worship God, not that thing, not that person, not that philosophy, only God, the one true God. Well, we have two messages left in our uh, life series. Has this been a good series for you? This has been really good for me. I just have really enjoyed looking deeper into the spiritual disciplines 
of what it means to know Jesus more through these disciplines, and I hope that you have as well, and I hope that they have uh, given you some tools, maybe some ideas of how to know him more, because that was the purpose of it. He wants us to have abundant life in him, and to do that, we, we, we create these habits in our lives, these spiritual disciplines. Uh, t- today was the second to last one. We got two more messages. Today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of personal and corporate worship. And as you can imagine, I mean, I've been a worship leader for 26 or more years. I love to worship Jesus. I love it. It may be my favorite thing to do in all the world. And uh, so the idea that we get to, to speak about this today just makes me excited. Because I know God wants to do something special in us as we talk about maybe the most important thing in our lives, worship. In fact, I would even dare say, if we could get this spiritual discipline right, the others would just fall into place. John Piper says this, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. That's one of those quotes you gotta have to think about a little bit. In other words, if we really worship the way God wanted us to worship, it would be natural for us to take his word, to be, to be honest with the people around us, to go to the nations. But instead, we have to create a program called Missions because we don't worship exactly the way God may want us to. I pray that that changes for us as a church today. Let's get a definition of worship, can we? This is what it is. Worship, it's our loving, obedient, joyful, and this is the word I want you to focus on, response to who God is, and what God has done in us and for us, okay? Worship is our loving, obedient, joyful response to who God is and what God has done. This is what I want us to say. If you don't hear anything else today, I would love for you to to walk away today and know these four words. Worship is a response. Can we say that together? Worship is a response. One more time. Worship is is a response. So what's a response? <laughs> Good try. A response is when we do something, right? It's a, we counteract something else. Somebody does something and we, we do something back because they did something. It's a reaction. It's, it's what we do after something happens, right? I'll give you an example. If the governor walked into my office on Tuesday afternoon and I'm hanging out and I'm working and doing some things around the office. And the governor would walk in my, my office and I would see it was Governor Hutchison. I would jump up out of my seat, right? Uh, governor, I'm, I'm so glad to see you. I, I'm, I can't believe you. I didn't know you were coming. Uh, shake his hand. Can I get you something to drink? Have a seat. What can I do for you, right? My response to his presence would be to serve him, to help him, to be honored that he would be in my little office. Here's a, here's a different one. You remember the old publisher's clearinghouse thing? I think they're still doing it. I don't know. Um, But can you imagine somebody rings your doorbell? You go, the dog's going crazy. The kids are acting nuts. And you go to the door and you open the door and they're standing there with balloons and like a six foot check, Drew Klein written on it. That's when I just fall straight out, right? My response may be to fall out. It might be to go and hug those people and kiss them. It might be to fall on my face in worship. I might make a lap around the block. I don't know. But I promise you this, I would respond. I wouldn't be like, no thanks. Right? Or if Governor Hutchinson walked in, I wouldn't say, what do you want? 
What? But isn't that what we do with God? Isn't that the truth of what we do with God when we walk in his house? We go like this. So. Bless me if you can. Entertain me if you can. Keep my attention. Maybe I'll stay awake. The question this morning is this. Do you respond to God? Because worship is a response. Do you respond? Or do you go, yeah, what do you want? When we consider all that God has done, when we consider who God is, do we respond? Do we worship? Listen, because God forbid that a game or a job, or a hobby, or a person elicits some type of emotional or, or grateful response in this soul more than the one that saved it. You didn't hear me. Listen, God forbid that a game, or a person, or a hobby, or a job, or an amount of money, or anything in this world would elicit an emotional or grateful response that's greater than that I would give to the one who saved it May it never be. And yet we do it every day. Worship is a response. The word worship, it comes from a Hebrew word, hishtava. And that Hebrew word means to bow down, to bow low with respect, with humility, with honor before the Lord. The Greek word is proskuneo, means the same thing, to bow low. We see it in the Old Testament all the time. We see it in the Gospels because God in the flesh, Jesus, is worshipped and people would bow low. And so we see that in the Greek there. We see it in Revelation a lot because that will, that's, that's what we'll be doing all the time, as Elvis said, right? To bow, to worship, to respect and honor. Our first statement this morning on your card is this. To worship God, we must have a high view of who he is. You see, when we have a high view of who we are, we have a low view of who he is. But if we have a high view of who he is, we'll have an appropriate view of who we are. We must have a high view of God. Listen, yes, Scripture says that he sticks closer than a brother. Yes, the Bible says that uh, he's our friend. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, these t-shirts came out, said, Jesus is my homeboy. Remember those t-shirts? <laughs> yes, he wants a relationship with us. He loves us. He's closer than our next breath. But let's not make the mistake of having a low view of our holy, magnificent, Almighty God. Let's look at scripture, can we? Ezekiel chapter 8. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Behold, what appeared to be his waist. Uh, below his waist was, was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. Ezekiel's saying, 
God is this other being. He's this other thing, and I couldn't even make it out. It's so bright. It's so wonderful. It's so glorious. I can't even, I can't really describe it. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. You think Isaiah... (laughs) Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. You don't get that sense, do you? In fact, Isaiah's on his face because he's, he's undone. He's as good as dead before the Holy One of Israel. And he's saying, I, I can't even look at you. I can't even, I, I'm not, I don't belong here. I belong, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips. I don't belong here. You're other. In fact, that's what holy means. Other, separate. You just get this sense of this high view of who God is, a respect and honor of who our God is. And John in Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around. And within a day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before his throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created This is a picture of worship. This is our example of worship. That we would take the crowns that we've been given because of something maybe we've done that was a good thing and we throw them back at Jesus' feet and we bow in worship and we say, no, Lord, receive all honor that has ever been in my life. Take it back. Receive any glory I've ever been given. Take it back. Any power that I have, God, you receive it because I'm unworthy. I don't belong here. Do you see a high view of God? We can't worship unless we have it. Here's the second thing this morning. To worship, we have to have a personal revelation of who God is and what he's done in our lives. We have to have a personal revelation of who God is and what he's done in our lives. I want to read this story this morning, and this is one of my favorite stories, so many favorites this morning. And I'll be honest, I pulled, I, pulled in, uh, I pulled the pastor card this week. I'll be honest with you. I'm just a little confessional. I pulled the pastor card, and I, I emailed Kim, and I said, Kim, I really would like for you to sing this song. I won't do it all that very much, but I just think this song will be perfect. And I'm so thankful that you sang that song. 
The song speaks of this story I want us to read together in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, speaking of Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I adore this story. I don't know if there's a more beautiful picture of worship in all of the scripture. I want to unpack a few things about this story if we can. First of all, I see in this woman complete confidence Do you see that? She is completely confident of at least two things. Number one, she's confident of who Jesus is, right? She's confident of it. She walks into the home of a Pharisee, which is a big deal. Confident of who Jesus was. See, she knew that he was a loving, compassionate, merciful Savior. That's who she knew him to be. And she was confident of who she was. She made no bones about the fact that she was a sinner. Most theologians think she was a prostitute. She was a woman of the street, and she knew her sin. And you can just sense that she has a high view of who Jesus is and an understanding, an appropriate view of of who she is. And she walks in. I want you to notice something this morning. She doesn't try to get his attention. Did you notice that? She's standing behind Jesus. Listen, this is the first lesson from this. When you live a life of worship, it's not about you. It's about God. You don't bring attention to yourself. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to be washing your feet, just so we're clear. Actually, I'm going to use my hair, just so you know. It's not about us. It never is. It's only about the one we worship. We don't draw attention to ourselves. Notice this. She never 
says a word. I looked over this. I read over this. I said, surely she said something. She never said a word in this exchange. You know what that means? That means in a life of worship, our actions will always speak volumes more than our words. In a life of worship, it's about how we live. It's about what we do. Are, are we, do we have integrity? Do we really do the things we say we do or are we all words? She didn't say a word and yet today, 2,000 years later, we're learning from her action. Martin Luther said, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. We preach the gospel with how we live, with the decisions we make, with everything we do. If necessary, we use words. Next thing we see, <laughs> she's weeping. She is weeping with all of her heart. And so we see that in this moment, her worship is genuine. It's authentic. Right? It's not for a show. She's weeping. It's authentic. She doesn't seem concerned about what other people think. In worship, you can't be concerned. You can't worry that you're going to, you just have to focus on the Savior. She's not concerned. She's weeping. She washes his feet with her tears. She dries his feet with her hair. She kisses his feet. Listen, this may, I just love this. She had a gift to bring Jesus. Right at the very beginning of the story, it talks about her gift. She brought a, a flask of, of alabaster, an expensive gift she brought to Jesus. And for so much of the story, we don't see the gift. You know why? If we're to learn from, from this, God wants you over your gift. Do you notice she gives everything of herself? She gives her emotion, she weeps. She gives of her body and her hair. She gives of her affection as she kisses his feet. She gives every part of who she is and that's what God wants from us. Your gift is nice, thank you for your gift. God appreciates your gift, but he wants you. And too many of us are saying, well I'll just pay here, here's this is for the kids, let the kids go. No, God's saying you go. Because he wants you over your gift. And she made it so clearly, she poured out all of her love, all of herself at the feet of Jesus. She gave him her all. She responded with her all. She anoints his feet with the ointment. And the thing I think we could see here is that worship is a sacrifice. When you live a life of worship, when it's a discipline in your life, it's important to you, you're going to walk out a life of worship, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to, right? It's going to take your time. You are here right now in church at South City because you made the time to be here. You took the time to be here, and we are so appreciative of it. We're so honored that you're here. Every time you walk into your small group and you say, this is important, and I'm here because I have a high value of this moment, you are giving your time, you're sacrificing your time. Every time you serve someone, every time you love on your neighbor, every time you speak the things of Jesus to someone else, you're sacrificing your time. It's a beautiful thing. We sacrifice our pride. Did, she, did it seem like she had any pride? She didn't care if people thought anything of her. She knew, in fact, 
I think it's interesting. It says in, in the text here that the Pharisee spoke to himself, right? Well, if this man, if this prophet knew who she was, he wouldn't let her do this. And yet it says Jesus answers him. So we don't know if uh, Jesus just read his heart and read his thoughts or if he said it under his breath loud enough for Jesus to hear him. If it was loud enough for Jesus to hear him, guess who else heard him? The woman at his feet. And she, she didn't stop and go, oh, oh, you're right, I am a sinner. I better not to. No. She sacrificed her pride and she said, I know who I am. I'm a sinner in need of this Savior. We sacrifice our control. Some of us, and I say us because we all struggle with control. It is at the core nature of original sin to be in control. We have to sacrifice our resources. Listen, this wasn't a cheap, this wasn't a cheap gift, this alabaster. It was very expensive. And she made a sacrifice to bring herself first and her gift second. Our gifts matter. And when we worship with all of our hearts, we're going to sacrifice our resources. When we worship with all of our hearts, we say, Lord, you've got all of me, including all I have. We're going to sacrifice our resources. I've got a friend who, um, she loves what we're doing at South City. She prays for us all the time. She doesn't even live in the state. But she loves us. She's a friend of mine and my wife's. Uh, we were with her several months ago, and she pulled me aside and said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. She said, hey, I, I want you to know that the Lord spoke to me and told me to give you my entire um, commission check. And she's in sales, and she does pretty well. And I went, uh, awesome. I thank you. She said, I'm giving it to South City. I said, wow, thank you. I, I don't know what to say. And then she began to cry. And I said, are you okay? She said, she said Drew, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I don't want to give you this. I told God in the moment. He said, I want you to give your entire commission check. She said, God, I don't want to. I have plans for that. I have some things I want to do with that. And she heard him say again, I want you to give your entire commission check to South City. And so in tears, she said, so I want you to know, she hands me the check. I'm trying to be obedient to Jesus. Because he's spoken to my heart, and this is what I, I want to do. Being obedient to him is more important than the sacrifice I make of my commission check. It was so humbling to receive that and to be able to sit it in our offering plate and know that this is, this is attached to sacrifice. Worship calls us to be sacrificial in every aspect of our lives. Have you had a personal revelation of who Jesus is? That woman, without question, she had, the Lord had revealed himself to her. You know, John 6, it says, only the Father draws someone to himself. Only the Father draws someone, in other words, reveals himself to somebody. Has God revealed himself to you personally? Has he done that? Have you seen him for who he is? Well, some of you may be saying, all right, well, how do I, how do I make this a discipline? What, how do I turn this into this high view of God and, and, and not dumbing down who, how I worship or what I do in church, right? Well, one thing we can do is 
I just take from this story we just read, right? The, um, Jesus says to the Pharisee, because it, it was customary for people, they wore sandals and their roads were dirty and sandy and dusty. Customary, if you had any respect for the person who's coming into your home, you would provide them a bucket of water, maybe a sponge, right? You'd pour oil over their head and just say, you're honored. Jesus got no honor from him. And so he speaks to that. He says, you didn't even offer me something for my feet, and yet this woman is washing my feet with her tears, drying my feet with her hair, kissing my feet, and you didn't anoint my head because you don't think anything of me. You don't have a high view of who I am. You don't respect or appreciate or honor me when I came into your house, and yet this woman is serving me in this way. How do we make this real in our own lives? How do we, how do we make worship a discipline? How do we make this so important to what we do and how we live? We said it last week, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. How we live is a sacrifice of praise. We mentioned it last week. Usually a sacrifice is something that is, is killed. It's a sacrifice of that life. And in death, it's a sacrifice. Well, Paul's saying in Romans 12, your life is a sacrifice. How you live, what you think, what you do. Don't let your mind just be consumed by what the world is, but change your mind. Transform your mind to be the thoughts of God, the things of God, the mind of Christ. And when you do that, it's your, and I love the way Paul says this, it's your reasonable act of worship. In other words, of course this is what we do. Jesus gave his life for us. The very least that we can do is honor him with our lives and our words and our minds and all that we are. It's a reasonable act of worship. What about with our words and our deeds? I love this from the Hebrews writer in chapter 13, verse 15. says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The writer's saying, listen, the very things that come off of your lips, your words, your songs, how you speak to people, everything, let this be a sacrifice of praise. But not just that, do good with your life. Live a good life, right? Do good and share. All of those things are praise. All of those things are worship and pleasing to God. What about Deuteronomy 6? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a form of worship when we love. What about when you make time in your day? It could be a quiet time. It could be reading scripture. It could be praying with your kids. All these different things. When you make time, Philippians 3 says, that is worshiping the Lord, to know him more. Simple. Our obedience. When we obey God, when we make a choice to say, you know what, I, I better not do that because I want to honor God. You're worshiping. You know, I, this is on the computer. I, I need to stay away from that because that dishonors God. I want to honor God with my heart and my thoughts and my life and my mind. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that thing. Or if I'm struggling with that thing, you're calling a brother. Hey, man, I'm struggling tonight. Would you pray for me? You're worshiping when you do that. John 14 and 15 say very clearly, when we're obedient to Jesus, when we love him, when we're obedient to him, we're loving him. That's part of our worship to him, and I love this, Colossians 3, 23. I mean, this kind of wraps it all up. 
every single thing we do. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we work, right? Whether we play, whether we're talking, whether we're sleeping, whatever we're doing, let everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Let it be worship, everything you do. That's why I say if we get this one spiritual discipline right, you can wrap up all the others in this one. If we really learned a life, a habit, a ritual of response to worship Jesus, because worship is a response. If you're not responding in your life to God, you're not a worshiper. If you're not responding to God in church, you're not a worshiper. Worship is a response. Have you responded? A disciplined life of worship is one who sees God for who he is. In other words, we say, Lord, you're holy. You're other. You know, it's like those angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're saying, holy, you're separate, God. You're different than me. You're other. Can we just acknowledge this morning, there is a being in heaven too great for our minds to comprehend. If we have a true high view of who God is, we can acknowledge that. And we can say, Lord, you're holy, and at the very least, you deserve my life. And can we say, listen, Lord, you have drawn my heart to yourself. You've given me a personal revelation of who you are and what you've done for me, what you've given me. Because I know what I deserve. I deserve hell in the grave. That's what I deserve because I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've made too many mistakes. And yet the gospel of Jesus says, I've got you. He placed all of my wrong and all of my sin and all of my brokenness and all of my mistakes on Jesus. And he doesn't hold them to me. And I've had a personal revelation to know who he is and who I am. That he's other and I'm sinner. And it's only by his grace that I know him and I have the privilege to respond to him. And this is important for us as a church, this last statement this morning. In order for us to worship God fully, we have to worship together. In order to worship God fully, truly, we have to do it corporately as the body of Christ. Our uh, writer of this book that we've kind of borrowed these disciplines from, uh, the spirit of the disciplines in Dallas Willard is his name. He says, in worship we engage ourselves with, dwell upon, and express the greatness, beauty, and goodness of God through thought and the use of words, rituals, and symbols. We do this alone as well as in union with God's people. To worship is to see God as worthy, to ascribe great worth to him. We do this alone and we do this with God's people. This is a life of worship. This is a discipline of worship, alone and with God's people. The psalmist seems to think that we should do it alone. Psalm 95 says this, Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
Clearly the psalmist knows there's power, there's importance that we should worship together. There's an element of worship that we can't know unless we do it together. I was telling somebody this morning about uh, something I did a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I guess. And uh, I went on a cattle drive. Yes, exactly like city slickers. I know you're thinking it. And Curly was there, the man who led us, and he was a crazy person. But um, this was like my favorite thing in the whole, I love to ride horses. You may not know this about me, but I'm kind of a wannabe cowboy. True, true story. I know you can't see it, but I, I have pictures. It's, this is a true story. I rode almost 80 miles on horseback in seven days. And we, we pushed, that's the way us cowboys say this, you know. We pushed uh, 400 head of cattle. And we pushed them to another plateau where they could eat fresh grass. And we separated the calves from the herd. And we branded just like they did in the 1800s. And it was awesome. It was so awesome. Changed my life. No, no kidding. We were in the beautiful, you know, Montana and Wyoming uh, reserve. And I was out on horseback. I'm in, I'm in my, like, my favorite place in the world. And I'm doing my favorite thing in the world, which is riding a horse. And every single day I would speak to God and I would say, Lord, in this magnificent beauty, in this amazing place, would you speak to my heart? Would you share something with me? Would you teach me? Reveal yourself to me. And you know what God said? Nada. He didn't say a thing to me. For seven days, I'm on this horse and I'm in this beautiful place and I'm just pouring my heart out to God. Oh, I just really want to hear from you. Nothing. Kind of disappointed. This was perfect. I was I was listening this time. I was ready. Flew back home. I went to church Sunday morning. I was standing in church and they started worship. And uh, as soon as worship began, the Holy Spirit fell in my heart. I couldn't, I couldn't say the words in worship. I couldn't, I, I couldn't even form the melodies in my mouth. I just was weeping so much. The presence of the Holy Spirit in my life was so strong. I remember feeling confused and like looking and just weeping. And so I just sat down and I just kind of held my face like this. And my wife's standing and the rest of the church is standing and worshiping. And I, I couldn't say a word because I was weeping. And I was just overwhelmed in that moment. There was something about the fact that alone wasn't exactly what I needed. And, you know, have you ever tried to make a fire with wood that's not seasoned? <laughs> it's not fun, is it? I know you guys, we, we like making fires. And we have, I bet you've worn yourself out over some green wood, hadn't you? But if the, if the wood is seasoned, if the wood is dry, if the wood is ready... It'll go right up. Listen, my heart was seasoned. All week long, I said, Lord, please speak to me. Show me yourself. Help me to hear you. And when I walked into worship, I heard the Lord. And I wept. I couldn't even sing the songs because my heart was so drawn into to worship with Jesus. God uses the body of Christ when we worship Hebrews 10, 24 says this. 
says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the same as you see the day drawing near. And I want you to just listen for a second. <laughs> this verse is saying, listen, stir one another up. Encourage one another to love the Lord and to love each other. But here's the thing. If you're not together, you can't do that, can you? If you're not together in church or in your small group or in some type of godly community where you're encouraging each other, to love God more, to love each other more, to be a blessing more. If you're not around each other where you can stir one another up, you can't stir one another up. And even in the early church, there were people who had already made it a habit to not be with the Lord's people. That already said, this is not a value to me. It's not that important to me. There's a couple of ways that we uh, worship corporately here at South City. We worship in this congregation, right, on Sunday mornings. We worship in our small groups. We worship corporately in two weeks on the 19th. We're going to have an amazing Thanksgiving feast. It's going to be a potluck dinner. We're going to provide turkey and stuff. It's going to be great. I hope you'll come and eat, and it'll be wonderful. And we'll fellowship, and that'll be worship for our corporate time together. It'll be amazing. And in small groups, we have a chance to go deeper with our hearts. We have a chance to be honest with our friends. We have a chance to allow them to stir us up to love and good deeds. That's the whole point. But if we're not there... We can't do it. And I want you to notice the very last part of this verse. It says, do it all the more, the more we see the day approaching. What's, what's he talking about? The closer we get to Jesus' return, the more we need to be around each other. The more we need to be doing these things of encouraging and stirring one another up, calling each other out, walking life deeply with each other in community here and in our groups. More and more. This is the early church. I mean, we know what early church did, right, in, in uh, Acts 2. They met every day. I mean, they, they, they were doing amazing things. He's saying, all the more do it as Jesus is approaching, as he's approaching. Listen, this is a discipline, and I, I want to say this to you in love. I want you to receive this in love. Your attendance in church is so important. It is so important your attendance in your small group is so important. Who knows that God might want to use you that day when you say hello to somebody, to encourage somebody to come again? Who knows that, that maybe, maybe you're an African-American and we don't have enough African-Americans in our congregation, and maybe another African-American comes in the door and they see you and they go, oh, I'm welcome here. I can be here. I can, be, I can feel at home here. But if you're not here will they feel as welcomed? We need you. We need you. Now listen, the last thing I want us to be is a legalistic church. That is the last thing I want us to be. I don't want to wave my finger at somebody, no, you weren't church on Sunday. That's not going to be who we are, okay? We're a free church. We, we want to know that we're here because we love the Lord and this is what we want to do. But I'm just telling you, I can't underscore the importance of your faithful Attendance. When you worship the Lord in community, in church and in your small group, you're worshiping. Your faithfulness is worship to the Lord. Some of us are more committed to the hobbies in our lives, to the TV show that we might miss, than we are to Jesus. I encourage you to worship 
with your faithfulness. Ephesians 5, Paul said Christ died for the church and he gave himself up for her. It's a reasonable act of worship. When we value corporate worship, we'll know Christ more. It's it's that simple, right? Those who know him uh, best worship him most. That's the quote I want to show you this morning. Calvin Whitman, he said, those who know him best worship him most. It is impossible to worship him if you don't know him. And since true worship is a response to knowing him, the more we know about God, the better we can worship or ascribe to him the worship he is due. It's what I've been saying through this whole series. The more we give our lives to these disciplines, the more we know God. And the more we know God, the better we worship. The more we worship, the more complete he is in our lives. And and this is the truth, and I'm done. You simply can't be all that God wants you to be as a believer in Jesus apart from corporate worship. You can't be. You can't be. I know that the church, listen, the church, the big C church around the world They've done some sketchy things. And there have been some unbelievable sketchy leaders, and I've known a few of them. And yet God calls us to be a part of his body. His imperfect, his broken, fractured body of believers. And yet he says, this is where I want you to be. And your attendance, your faithfulness to serve, to give, to belong, to become who God wants us to be together is worship. Worship is what? It's a response. Worship is a response. Have you responded to God? I mean, have you really responded to God? Maybe he's been pushing on your heart. Maybe he's been speaking to your soul something that you need to do. Maybe it's be a part of a church like this. Well, I promise you, we are not a perfect church. We're a broken church. We're a church that only exists by the grace and goodness of Jesus. That's it. But we want to love you well. We want to help you hold your life accountable. We want you to hold us accountable. We want to walk this life together and stir each other up to love and good good deeds. Maybe the Lord's been speaking to you about being a part of a church. Well, come be a part of our church. Maybe God's calling you to do some ministry thing or he's calling you to speak to some person What is the response God is calling you to? And are you being faithful to respond? Because listen, this won't cut it. When we have a low view of God, listen, when we have a low view of God, it leaves us indifferent and unchanged. What's your view of God? Is it just an add-on? We might go... Listen, church, God and his church can't be the last thing on your list of priorities. It can't be. Because you can't be who you need to be apart from it. Listen, I've been doing small group. I was trying to count the years. I've been a part of a small group, like me and my wife, personally a part of of a small group for at least 20 years. There's a reason for that, Not just because I work at churches and I'm a pastor and no. I know who I am apart from small group community. I know who I turn into. I know the things I start to believe. 
I know the things that start to disappear from my life. Faithfulness, truthfulness, honesty, accountability. Sin begins to enter my life like no other. And it's okay because I don't have people stirring me on to love and good deeds. I'm a part of a small group and I want us to be a church full of small groups. That the core of who we are is small groups because I know who we can be if we're living life among each other in authenticity. We can be exactly who God wants us to be. That's who. What's your response this morning? Daryl, you guys go ahead and come on back. Would you just ask yourself that question? I ask you this morning, who do you love? What do you love? As you've answered that this morning, what's your response? Worship is a response. Father God, Lord, this morning I'm, I'm convicted. I find myself convicted to the story of the Pharisee. God, I don't want our church to be a place that just makes assumptions about you, that doesn't honor you. See, that Pharisee made assumptions about Jesus. He had no respect, no honor, a low view of who you were, Jesus. But Lord, may South City Church know who you are, have a true personal revelation of who you are, and may we worship together in such a beautiful, consistent ongoing, committed way that you change us from who we are to who you want us to be. Because we can't be who you want us to be apart from it. Lord, make the discipline of worship real in our lives. Would you do that, please? And even today as I speak, Lord, if there's one person here today that in their heart, they, they, they're not sure that they know you as their Savior. If they were to die today, they don't know that they would even go to heaven. God, would you give them the courage to respond now? In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you give them the courage to respond to the truth of your word? So as we sing this song and as we worship and we seek you, Lord, may they respond. May they come down here and speak to one of us as pastors. God, if there's somebody who's needing a a home, a family they can walk life with in authenticity, If you're calling them to be a part of our family, would you lead them down here to speak with us? And God, if there's one person that needs to spend time seeking you, asking you to forgive them, just as the woman did at at Jesus' feet, pouring her love out before the Savior, Lord, if they need to do that right where they're seated, would they be faithful to respond in worship now? Lord, we love you. We give you this moment. Help us not to let these times, these moments just go over our heads, one ear and out the other, looking at our watch, wondering where we can be in the next 20 minutes. But God, for this moment, may we consider your your holiness. May we consider your revelation and your drawing us and the privilege we have to worship together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing worship together.